contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. And welcome to the Hammer and Grind podcast, the podcast built for contractors to help maximize profits and get you off the tools before burnout or bankruptcy happens. I'm your host, Brad Hebner, and I'm here to help you on your journey to self-mastery. Make sure you check us out on our social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast, and you'll be able to find me there. Consider joining my free Facebook group called the Contractor Profit Blueprint. I created this free group to give you as much information as possible to help you in your business. I go live in there once a week, tons of content to help you in your business. Now, if you want to accelerate the success, consider joining my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. In there is a great community of contractors all willing to share information and help each other succeed, as well as hundreds of hours of training, coaching calls, everything you need to accelerate your business. If you want to learn more about that, You can find out more information on hammerandgrind.com forward slash the profit club, or just send me a message and I'll be happy to share that with you. Now, let's get on to the show. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, This is episode, I don't even know, man. It's like 86 or something, 87. I've already lost count. But anyways, I I got a special guest here with me, Lucas Hennison. And uh, Luke is the co-owner of HPM, along with his wife, Rachel He started back in uh, 2010 as a solo operator, just cutting grass, and has since uh, grown that into a a force to be reckoned with in the landscaping industry. He has a full-blown design, construction, and maintenance company. Luke, thanks for jumping on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Brad. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, yeah, man, I I wanted to have you on here because... You've done pretty good and pretty well for yourself in the maintenance and the and the landscaping industry. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're located, kind of what you do, and and just get it, get it started for us. Yeah, we're we're located in Southeast Wisconsin. We provide seasonal services, you know, so uh, maintenance throughout the year in terms of landscape, you know, and that includes snow in the wintertime, which is what we're preparing for. But we we do design work and consultation and construction. And that's been a really exciting thing to take on. It's kind of where some of our creative legs have been stretched. Yeah. So, and I want to get more into that here in a minute, but let's start with the very beginning. What made you want to start your own business? Uh, It's a good question. You know, for me, there was this glass ceiling effect at every company that I worked at towards the end here. I just would grow and uh, move my way up in some type of management or supervisor foreman position. And then there was nothing else past that, you know, and I wanted to have more of an impact on the company, be a bigger part. And I just wasn't really fulfilling that need inside. So I said, I'm going to do this on my own. And how long, how long have you been working in the landscaping industry before you started? Well, it's, I've been in it all my life. You know, when I was 14, you know, I, I grew up in Illinois, a little bit closer to you. I uh, started working with a landscaper and we do landscape installs. And um, I, I very quickly became his number one guy. And I really, I loved that. I loved being important in the, in the company, but I loved the work too, being outside, all the different challenges. It was never the same. 
weather patterns, you know, are always different. And it just became a, a, a part of me over time. And um, I've worked for some pretty big companies and, and gained a lot of knowledge. Uh, there was a brief lapse in between, you know, that where I was in the military. But otherwise, after I got out, I went right back to it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your military. You were in the Navy. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four years. And so I've no I've noticed this a lot in the in the blue collar industries that a lot of veterans and I don't know if it's just because of being in the military it's that type of work where it's never consistent you know it's always like long days working outside working in different elements and I think when you transfer when you get out of the military and then you get into the real world as they would say then it's like going to nine to five and sitting in a cubicle does not sound appealing whatsoever. And so that blue collar industry just allows that kind of diversity like you were talking about in terms of each day is different. Yeah. A little off side note, after I got out of the military, I went in, uh, first job I had was going door to door, uh, selling cable, internet and telephone services for our local cable provider. So that's how I got started. And then I switched over to an inside sales position. So even though the money was okay, I was stuck in a cubicle all day, eight hours a day, answering phone calls, trying to sell people on cable, TV, and internet service. Yeah. <laughs> that's about, it's about as far away from the field as you could possibly get. Yeah. So you started your own business. And then why did you pick? I mean, were, were you doing landscaping and stuff prior to... Or were you just doing mowing or like, how did you, why did you pick mowing is what I'm trying to get to. Mowing is a really good entry level type of service. You know, there's a certain amount of, of equipment or uh, ability when it comes to design and landscape install. And when you're starting up, you might not have that type of capital for it, but it's very easy to go and start a mowing company. You look around, you'll see millions of them in, in a neighborhood. So I wanted just to, you know, get my feet wet with what is it like to own a business? You know, there's challenges that I'm not aware of, but we did. And, uh, you know, we made it past the the first four years where normally businesses will, will shut down. And after that, I realized, all right, let's start growing this. That's interesting because that's like the equivalent of starting off as a handyman and then moving into remodeling. So mowing is like the, the lowest barrier to entry. And then you move into landscaping as a result. It's like a, a yeah. real parallel there. Yeah, I think with any trade, there's probably like a, a core service, you know, where it's just, it's usually a list of core services that a larger company would offer, but I just specialized in it. You know, like you're saying, handyman services. You know, I've seen painters that just paint, but that's part of a project. And, and some guys just do that all in-house anyways, too. Yeah, yeah. So how long did you do just mowing before you started dipping your feet into like doing landscaping and stuff? Um, I would say maybe about the three, four years where it was just focusing on that, focusing on the business, all the boring stuff behind the scenes, you know, and then it was just like, hey, you do this. Can you also take this on? Yeah, actually, I know how to do that. And so it's just a matter of finding suppliers, finding, finding materials, entry level stuff at best, you know, and it just started to quickly grow. Nice. And so how, when you were cutting grass, was it just you for the first three or four years or did you end up hiring some people? No, it was just me for the first bit there. And then there was the, okay, let's start experimenting with employees. How, what is this all about? Uh, how do I pay? 
all that background stuff that's hard to look into, you know, figuring that out. There's been a lot of growth and figuring out of stuff along the way, I would say. But it, as long as you stick with it, it's like uh, you figure it out eventually. But there's a lot of oopsies along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the video I just put in the free group of that guy going up the steps on the trampoline. Did you watch that? Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's like the perfect analogy of what it's like owning a business, right? Trying to get to the top. It's just always knocked down. You just, you take two steps, you get knocked down three, you got to get back up and keep going and it's just nonstop. So if you don't enjoy that, like if you don't enjoy the journey of the challenges, the highs, the lows, you're not going to enjoy entrepreneurship whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Fail, but fail quickly and get over it. Keep moving forward. Always have your sight on that target. Yeah. And then, and we, we just got right prior to recording this, we just recorded a, a case study and you had mentioned on there about, you know, prior to joining the profit club that you were like, I mean, you were like just stressed out. Right. And so I think that happens a lot for contractors where you, you, you do this and you get to a point where you get knocked down so many times that you just want to stop. You just want to give up. Right. And that, I see that a lot with, with contractors. What's been your experience just in general from the start until now? Like, has, have, have you ever had challenges where you're just like, I don't think I can overcome this challenge? Oh, yeah. I'm human. I think everybody has that. I even think the most successful people have been in those situations. But the thing that really defines us is how do we overcome that? You know, when you're staring at a situation where it's like, I can't make it through this. This isn't going to happen. And you're just ready to give up. It's still just a feeling, you know, and if you just keep on moving forward, try to find a solution, stay, you know, consistent and resilient to it. After you get past it, it's like, what was I even thinking, feeling that emotion? It doesn't even make sense because I, I got to the other side of it. But uh, I've been in that curled up in the fetal position on the floor type of situation, you know, where I tell my wife, I can't do this. You know, this is too much. You know, it, it just gets too heavy. Just get over it. Go through it, feel the feeling, get past it, stand back up and get back to work. Do you think being in the military has given you, and in some way, a kind of a superpower of understanding that? Because I, I believe that, and it, it's helped me immensely being in the military, but I just, a lot of people don't ever get pushed beyond what, they're, what they think they're capable of. They're never pushed there. And in the military, you're pushed there all the time. Do you think that's been extremely beneficial for you? Um, I my answer might be biased because I don't know what it's like any other way. And by no means am I a Navy SEAL that has been pushed to certain limits sure. uh, where that would be more applicable. But I would say, I guess, yeah, being pushed to a certain amount and just keeping going. I've never thought of it that way, but I think that has an effect. You know, I don't realize that other people don't have that ability, but I think they do. I would hope they would. I don't think it's a, a superpower that we have. I mean, it's going to be different for every person, right? Like, it depends on their upbringings, their environment. You know, if someone grew up in the streets of, you know, Chicago with lots of crime and stuff and they survive that, they're probably going to be a lot more resilient than somebody who maybe grew up in a very nice area, didn't have many challenges in life. So I think that, that does, you know, factor into that. Uh, but for me, like, I distinctly remember being in the military and key times where it's just like, I can't do that. Like I physically and mentally cannot do this anymore. 
I just want to quit and go home. Kind of like that fetal position mentality. And, and then somebody comes along and is like, either it's a drill instructor or your squad leader or another, you know, another Marine or somebody is like, come on, man, you can do it. Just push, just push through it. Take one more step or whatever. And you get through it. And then when you're done, you're like, I don't know why I was such a little, you know, baby back then. Like you were saying, like just push, yeah. push through it. I think, I think we've, we've gotten to a point in culture where it's just easy to give up, right? Like we want, to, we want to start a business today and if we're not a millionaire by next year, then we're like, we just want to give up. It's too hard. Do you see that? I mean, or do you, do you think differently about that? Yeah, there's the business owners that look at it like, all right, I'm getting into this to, do, to get money. And you'll see it in any industry, I, I suppose. You know, with landscape, it looks something like, okay, we cut grass or we do landscape. Hey, we also build decks and we paint and we also do junk outs. And you know what? We're going to re-roof your house. Say, like, whoa, you're, you're really diversifying there. You recognize that their goal is to go after the money. My goal is to be in the industry. I really love the green industry. I love everything about it. I just so happen to get uh, the ability to charge for it and uh, do well with it. Uh, the money is more of the byproduct to being here and enjoying it. I think there's a difference between those two companies. There's nothing wrong with making the money, uh, you know, they're going after. But it starts to really muddy the waters, and it can provide a disservice to the client compared to somebody that streamlines things. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I, I think that if you're – the other thing, too, is that if you're in it just for the money, you're not going to be able to withstand those – fetal position nights of, I want to quit, right? Because it's like, this is, I'm not making any money. Why am I beating myself up? I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So for you, and you just confirmed that, you know, you, you love landscaping, which I, I can tell if you've been in it since you were 14 and you haven't really done anything else besides that. Like, this is your passion. This is your space. You, this is what you want to do. Even if you, and I'm just guessing here, but even if you had to close down the doors, you'd probably go work for another landscaper. You wouldn't just go do something else. That's, that's crossed my mind. You know, I think any business owner thinks, gosh, maybe it would just be easy to punch a clock, not deal with these problems. But you're very, you very quickly remember that glass ceiling and how yeah. unrewarding that is. So that's, that's an interesting, because you've been there, you've, you've hit that glass ceiling multiple times, right? So you, you know, like, if you were to close down the doors, like you're going to be at a somewhat of a limitation of what you can do. Like you've experienced that. What about somebody who's maybe got into landscaping? They love it. They love landscaping, but they've only been in it like one or two years and they're, they're thinking about starting their own business, but they've never experienced that glass ceiling before. How do you think that that would affect them in their entrepreneurship journey? I think that if they're not experiencing the glass ceiling, they're probably not in a position to know the pressures of being in that management type of thing. And so they're, they're not going to be ready for what it takes to be an owner or a leader in a company. I think you do need that, some of that experience. If they were to transition over into solo operator or doing their own thing, they would just be providing a service. You know, it would almost be like a side gig thing at best. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But effect, I don't, I think, Yeah, you effectively created a job for yourself. You yeah. just happen to be the owner and the employee in the same situation. Yeah little sidebar. I, one of my first businesses that I ever started when I was 16 was a lawn care business. I cut grass. That's why I know that I hate cutting grass because I did it for one summer and I was like, yeah, this ain't for me. <laughs> but I did. I had a legitimate little business. I was driving around cutting grass. 
Uh, if I was smart enough back then, if I knew what I knew now, back then, I would have stuck with it and probably, you know, grew that. But, uh, you know, young and dumb, and you don't think about that stuff. But my reason I brought that up is you probably, I would say that the handyman is one, but I would say if not more, or at least a close second, is that cutting grass, lawn care businesses, they're a dime a dozen. Like they pop up 20 a year. I mean, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. It's very easy to get into the trade. You go to Home Depot, buy a mower, string trimmer. Uh, it's how I started. You know, we bought the cheap stuff and just got to work. It's very low investment to get started. And um, everybody needs their grass cut. It's a reoccurring service. It's very easy to start up. Do you run into problems with existing clients, you know, picking up those newer, usually cheaper clients because they don't know any better? I, whatever, how do you define it as a problem? I mean, in previous years, I might have looked at it like, oh, we have an oversaturation of uh, companies in the area here. But then I very quickly realized the people that went with those companies ended up calling us later anyways when that guy's equipment broke or he didn't last. He didn't see He wasn't seasoned. And um, they ended up going with us. So they needed to go through that experience of, what is it like to go with maybe the cheaper guy, you know, or the, the smaller company? And they recognize that there's a certain dependability in somebody that's established. I mean, I had the problems as a small business owner where my equipment broke down. I'm pushing out properties. I'm not providing the correct service that I should be. And I had to learn what that was all about through the pain of it. Yeah. I went through that pain with snow plowing myself because I, when I first started, and I live in Evansville, so we don't get that much snow. I mean, we can we could go two years in a row without any snow, or we could go. Usually, we'd get like two to three events per year, and we're talking like maybe two or three inches at a time. Like n- nothing like what most people deal with, but you still have to deal with it, right? There's still an opportunity for snow removal, and uh, I, uh, dude, I struggle with. It. I did it just to keep busy during the winter because I was new and didn't have enough work, and it was just my wife day one said, "Don't do that." Like, that's not what you should be doing. And I'm like, woman, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. And so like seven, eight years later, finally sold everything, got out. And I was like, yeah, you were right. I should have never done that. <laughs> snow so you, is a, what's that? The snow is a unique thing. You, you need to have a certain mental illness to be able to do snow. <laughs> I um, love it. It's not for everybody. I love, I mean, I actually love getting in the snow. I love the actual act of plowing the snow. Like, I mean, I love it. 30-hour days straight, you know, 30 hours straight in the truck, no break. I don't care. I loved it. But the problem for me was you can't go anywhere. When you're the one doing it, you can't go anywhere from like December till March. You're, you're there. You can't go on vacation. You can't go out of town because, you know, as soon as you leave, there's a big snow event. You got to go back home and do all that. So, and I just wasn't in it. I just, it, it just was not something I was passionate about. And so yeah. I just end up, I just lost money, basically. I mean, I made the most money when I sold my equipment. Like I said, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a burden. In previous years, we've had, you know, Disneyland uh, trips planned and paid for, for us and the family, only to have to reschedule or cancel it because of a snowstorm. Uh, it gets to be really expensive if you don't have people that you can count on to do the service with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got the same thing with snow. You got the cut rate guys out there, you know, plowing entire parking lots for like 60 bucks. <laughs> You're just like, what are you doing? I blew my transmission up on my truck. 
and the motor, I, both of them. I mean, it cost me like probably $9,000 combined between the two tearing up my truck. Mm-hmm. So anyways, back to the, the reason I was getting on that little tangent there about the, that is because how do you, as a seasoned entrepreneur now in the landscaping industry, it's easy for, and I see this all the time on, on contractor forums. There was one the other day, it was like, somebody posted, it was like, if you're, the, if you're the contractor that's low bidding everyone, how does it make you feel that you're screwing yourself and you're screwing all the other contractors in your area? And I, I responded and said, I said, they're not. They're not screwing any other contractor. They're only screwing themselves. And so that mentality of like competition makes everything worse or that there's cheaper people out there. Like what's your mindset around that? And how, does that affect you at all? Do you don't even see that as an issue? Like I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. I think you need to separate from it. No matter who you are, you need to separate from that because at first glance, everybody says, oh, my competition, you know, or your customers will say, well, your competition gave you, gave us a cheaper quote. It's not competition at that point. It's like saying the NFL, this NFL football team is playing a middle school football team. That's not competition. You know, you got one that's really trying to figure things out. Their truck's going to break down. I don't think they're hurting themselves as much as they're actually hurting the industry. It's unfortunate because they're providing that real disservice to the client. They're creating new expectations that you can get it this cheap. You can get walked all over. You know, you don't have to set expectations or or maybe control a little bit of the narrative. It's just not a real service that should be provided. They're going in it out of desperation to get money when really a seasoned contractor will know all the ins and outs of certain things. And by no means am I the best. I'm still figuring things out as we go, but I'm leaving room to figure those things out instead of just filling my schedule to the max with as much work as possible, only to under-deliver later on. So I wouldn't say it's competition necessarily. I think it's just let them go have that uh, experience of failing so that they can improve and get up to speed in the industry. And then you can share it with them or they'll go away eventually. That's interesting that your thought on that. So you do think it hurts the industry? Yeah, I believe it hurts the industry. So my take on that is there's different price points and different customers for different businesses. So you need cheap contractors to service the cheap customers. And so it's like a match. So like you have like your elite, con, you know, your elite entrepreneur, you know, businessman, like-minded like yourself who are servicing the higher clientele. Then you got the brand new guy who doesn't know what he's doing and he's servicing the cheap clientele. That's how I see it. Like it's almost like an equal match. Like there's different layers to the hierarchy of the contractor. And then there's customers that match those different hierarchies. Yeah, I can get on board with that. It's almost like a law of nature where you're going to have that no matter what. In my mind, a perfect world Contractors would just charge what needs to be charged and there wouldn't be the expectation of the lower bid. Oh, I agree 100% with that. Yeah, I mean, right now, if the contractor is like united across the country, we could raise the rates probably by 15, 20% collectively across the board and everybody would make 15 to 20% more money. Like, Because th- there's so much demand. Right. We all know there's labor shortages. There's fewer people going into the trades, the blue collar uh, sector. 
there, the opportunity right now is probably, it's probably never going to get as good as it is right now in terms of opportunities to raise your prices to meet demands. And so I, I always get, it's like mind boggling that people come in and they want to be cheap. Like they're like, man, you guys are ripping people off. I don't see how you sleep at night. I don't, I only charge, you know, 20 bucks an hour and I don't mark up any materials and I do good work. And I'm just like, bro, you don't even, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> like you're going to be out of business in like three years or less. Yeah. What he's really saying is not that he does good work, but that he's got pride in his work and he doesn't understand what it costs to actually run a business, you know, to have those certain overheads or insurances for when things go bad. They, he probably lacks the experience of when there's an accident or a client doesn't pay or just some of the things that you need to equip yourself to be a contractor to season the times, you know, him at best, you know, six, nine months later, probably going to be out of a job or back working for somebody. He's just uninformed. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. I see, I see new trucks at the Home Depot or something. I'll be in there and I see a new truck pull up company. I've never heard of before. You know, it's got a magnet on the door and I'll just look at it and be, yeah, dude, you'll be out of business in six months. Like just because of the way they carry themselves or, you know, the, the name of the business, it's like, you know, cheapest contractor LLC. Like that's the name of their business. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, what are you, what are you thinking, man? I don't know. I, it's, it's crazy. What's your thoughts on the future of the green industry? Oh, it's, it's blowing up. You know, I'm not familiar with any other industry. I feel extremely blessed to be in the green industry because of how crazy it's going. I think that there's a community and a network within uh, our sector that maybe isn't like that in other areas. You know, the, the GIE just got done and people talk about it all year round. And then we meet up in, in Kentucky and there's a real com camaraderie, you know, similar to the military, the amount of Facebook groups and things like that, other ones that split off on certain platforms. Myself, um, I've actually been in communication with guys across the nation on a daily basis, probably for the past five, six years. There's just a real deep connection because we'll run around solo on our jobs and quiet and we just need somebody to talk to. So you reach out and try to connect with somebody else that's going through the same things, you know, and then you got to watch yourselves grow and you support each other. There's no unionization of our trade necessarily. There's no, it, people don't even consider it a, a trade. You know, you don't have a right. hardscapers union or a landscape. It's all laborer. Uh, so we, we typically unify under this common purpose. I'm really happy to be a part of it. Yeah, you, that's interesting because, I mean, yeah, technically it's not a trade, although you could get into like arborist and stuff like that where it is a little more, you know, and tree, tree removal stuff, you know, all that stuff can be probably more trade related, but it's still a service business, right? Uh, you know, cutting, cutting grass is more of a service-based, landscaping is more of a like con construction-based if you want to look at it from those two different angles. And they're a little bit different in terms of how you run those. Do you, you guys still offer uh, lawn service? Yeah. And then is that, what percentage of that of your business would you say is lawn care versus like everything else? Uh, I'd have to run the numbers, but I would say at this point, you know, we scaled back. It's probably about 20, 25%. 
Okay. You know, it's it is a big service because of what it is, you know, but um it's very easy to be successful on just lawn care too. But I would say for us, we wanted to move more into the landscape portion. That's really where we like to be. Uh, there's a there's a lot of money in maintenance. Like it's not just um, cutting grass; it's fertilizing, dethatching, aerating, overseeding. Um, a lot of the things that uh, you know, there's just problems with. But it 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 can make up 100%. I would say for us, though, it's about 20, 25% currently. Gotcha, I gotcha. This is for the people who listen that are landscapers or have a lawn mowing service now. Do you kind of run those like two separate divisions? Like, do you run them separately? Because that's what I did. I had like my handyman and my remodeling. I almost ran those like two separate businesses, if you will, in terms of how I ran them. Yeah. This is going to be a tricky one to answer because depending on where you live in the nation, you're going to cut grass differently. You know, there's cool season grass and there's warm season grass and they grow completely different. And they, they're serviced differently too. For our area with the cool season, I found it best just to specialize and hire specifically only for mowing. Guys want to mow. They don't want to be landscapers. Landscapers want to landscape. They don't want to mow. Uh, so equipping them to specialize in that, it, it's been really successful compared to just trying to find somebody to do it all. Does that answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean even like in terms of you know, how you go about, you know, expenses, operational, tempo, production, like I'm assuming those are even different as well. Yeah, it can be. Um, you know, the pay ranges are different, the production rates, all that factors in, which is why we specialize in it compared to like maybe in other areas where the, the landscaper does everything. One day you might be on mowing crew, one day you might be on landscape, maybe another hardscape, maybe another day you're doing blowouts on irrigation systems. Lance, or, uh, lawn care has been, it can be really lucrative, but I also noticed that it's very hard to staff at times. It's not a sexy position. Right. You know, you're not going to find somebody that wants to do it necessarily. So you got to try to make it as easy for them as possible in terms of having the best equipment, maybe some of the nicer mowers, something that makes them feel good about being here because it is an important part. That's That's been my experience with it though. I was going to ask you when you're going to buy one of those new DeWalt uh, combo mowers that are battery operated, spontaneously catch on fire. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen that. Like I said, the industry is really, really interesting right now because uh, battery powered, robot, remote control, it's becoming a new wave. Over the last few years, I think robot mowers automated are um, going to really be replacing some of the uh, positions for mowing. And that's okay because not everybody wants to do it. Well, that's a different business model, right? I mean, this has been around for a couple of years. I've seen robot uh, operated business model where they come around, they drop a robot, leave, come back, you know, an hour later and pick the robot up. It's still a lawn care service. It's just yeah. a robot cutting instead of a person. I've already told my wife, because we're we're looking and we're not like, not in the immediate future, but we're looking for land to build on and I want to have some acreage. But I, I literally hate cutting grass, Luke. I mean, I freaking hate it. I told her, I said, if we buy land with a lot of grass, we're getting a robot mower. I don't care if it costs $10,000. We will be buying a, a robot mower because I'm not cutting the grass. Or goats. That, that works too. Get some <laughs> pygmy goats or some feigning goats. and Plus, you get some entertainment out of it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, the, the battery-operated thing is, is interesting. 
everybody's pushing for for electric, but I don't know how the infrastructure is going to support it. You know what I mean? Like, I, just, I don't see it. I've seen some really big leaps in it, you know, and I, I I'm watching it real closely because it addresses one of our core issues, which is how do I man this? You know, how do I, you know, if there's a labor shortage and, and a, a culture issue going on right now, is that going to get worse? Robot mowers are the only real solution to that at that point, or stop providing that service. Oh, it, it's it's going to go there. I mean, it has to, even in, even in construction, even in the trades, like there, there will be robots at some point that are like hanging drywall and framing houses. That will happen. I mean, whoever's going to adopt that first is going to be the one that sticks around. I saw a robot the other day that picks strawberries. Hmm. Like it would go down the rows. It would determine if the strawberry's ripe. It would pick it off the vine, drop it in a basket and go completely automated. Yeah. You just eliminated an entire workforce on a, on a, you know, out in the field. Yeah. So it's definitely an interesting thing, the concept, but we still got plenty of time, right? We got, we still got plenty of time before the robots are going to take over and Terminator comes back from the future. Uh, we still got a little bit of time before all that happens. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. What's your, what's your thoughts on just technology in general? Like er, being an early adopter, do you tend to wait and be more, you know, uh, analog and like the old school, like what's your philosophy on technology and changes and stuff? I tend to gravitate towards old school, analog, pencil, paper, you know, that feels comfy. Um, maybe I'm just telling my age a little bit, but that's what I prefer. However, in terms of progress, any type of software or automation or, um, you know, technology that we've used has only helped our business grow exponentially. So it's hard to be like, eh, let's keep with pen and paper. You know, when you see the benefit to how fast it makes your company go, you, you have to let go after a while. You have to let go of that control. If you're on board for the, the betterment of the company, it's not about you at that point. It's about, you know, the business. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, shift gears just a little bit here. In terms of where you're at in your business, what do you think have been some key things that have helped you get to where you're at and, st you know, stay in business, thrive in business? Like, what are some key things that you think have gotten you there? Oh, it's a tough one. I mean, how deep do you really go? Let's uh, talking recently, I would say the coaching. Coaching has been a really big accelerator uh, through some of the sticking points. But prior to that, I would say leaning on people, you know, letting go and recognizing. I'm not centralized, you know, I'm not the key, most important person here. Actually, the, the, the crew is, the people that work here are, and really leaning on them and letting go has been uh, pretty important. Prior to that, even I would say some of the pains along the way, when, when it hits the fan and stuff really sucks, just keep going with it. You know, don't give up. I think most people give up. Looking forward, I think that uh, where the economy might be going, you know, could be really interesting. And I would say to just stay, you know, season it out. Because you, after you make it out on the other side, you're just that much further ahead once it picks back up. Yeah, for sure. As we, as we get towards the end here, I have a couple of questions I like to ask. One is, what question should I be asking you? Like what, what's the one thing that you would want people listening to this in terms of landscapers or people want to start a landscaping company, lawn mowing company? What is it that you think they need to know? What's the most important piece of information you can give them? 
bigger picture, I would say no matter what you're trying to start on, what is your goal? You know, if your goal is just to make money and do all kinds of services like that, great. You know, stay focused on that. Don't listen to the guys that are specific to any industry that are more passionate about it or, you know, the bigots, if you will. If your goal is to actually be in the industry and be a part of it and have impact, you know, run with that crowd, you know, talk to those guys. Uh, I see so much conflict on some of the groups and in between people only because they have different goals. You know, they one might be for money, whereas one might actually be be here and be a part of this and have impact. Um, so I would say focus on what your long term goal is, really recognize it and then surround yourself with those people. Yeah, that's great. Community, like don't don't try to go about it yourself. That's what I hear Correct, you saying. Yeah. Find yeah. some, find a group of people to go about it together and collectively hold each other accountable, collectively work through it and, and do well. So awesome. Uh, last question I'd like to ask is what book are you reading right now? Or which one that you recommend if you're not currently reading one? Uh, well, the book that I actually recommend and the book that I'm still reading, I'm uh, the slowest reader in the world, <laughs> is uh, Chris Voss's um, Never Split the Difference. Yeah, uh, that's, Very that's highly recommended to me. I know you recommended it. It's, it's just been gold the entire time. I read so slowly because I just go back and reread stuff. And it's worth just really spending time with. Oh, you could read that book every month. Chris, anything Chris Voss puts out is, is pure gold. Right. I mean, yeah. like videos, whatever. If you ever have the opportunity to go to a seminar or something that he puts on, you know, I would definitely take advantage of that. So yeah. that is that is on my top top list of books. Uh, Never split the difference in my top 10 list for sure. So, Luke, I, I appreciate you uh, being on here today. And uh, how can people reach out or if they want to contact you or whatever, how, how could they go about doing that? Uh, well, we make it really easy, I, you know, whether it's to network, uh, just chit chat ask questions about the industry, starting business, even if it's people in the community that are curious about services. Uh, we have Facebook, we have website, you know, our information's all plastered out there. How can I more specifically answer that? Do you have like a, an email address or, uh, or even just like a Facebook page or something that they can go to? And yeah. we'll, we'll put that, we'll put it in the show notes, but if they don't, if they don't have access to the show notes, is it through Instagram or something? Uh, Facebook is Facebook backslash HPM services or no HPM landscapes. I'm sorry. We changed that. Otherwise the email is contact at hpmlandscapes.com and that'll get directed right through the office here. Awesome. Well, Luke, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, really, I really, uh, value your, uh, contribution and, uh, what you're doing in the profit club as well. Uh, guys, that's that's the end of the show. You can know, you can find out more information about me on the social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast or go to the show notes. Everything's in the show notes, the links. Uh, consider checking out the free Facebook group I have, the Contractor Profit Blueprint, uh, to get more valuable information for your business. And until next time, guys, you know what to do. Be the best version of you.